Can we get the phone line unmuted, please? You're unmuted. Good morning. This meeting will come to order. This is the July 21st, 2023 regular meeting of the Local Agency Formation Commission. I am the clerk of the commission, John Carroll. We uh, are doing things a little bit differently today because we are not joined by Chair Chan or by Vice Chair Fielder. Uh, we will resolve that in a moment, but first I have a few announcements. The LAFCO Board of Commissioners is convening hybrid meetings that allow in-person attendance and public comment while still providing remote access and public comment via telephone. LAFCO recognizes that equitable public access is essential and we will be taking public comment as follows. First, public comment will be taken on each item on today's agenda. Those attending in person will be allowed to speak first and then we'll hear from those who are waiting on the public comment line on the telephone. If you wish to participate in public comment via telephone, please call 415-655-0001. You'll be prompted to enter a meeting ID. The meeting ID for today is 26629307428. Then press the pound symbol twice. You'll be connected to the meeting discussions, but your line will be in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up on our agenda, dial star followed by three to be added to the queue to speak for that item. If you're on the telephone, please remember to turn down the volume on your television and your listening devices that you may be using to access today's proceedings. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing. I invite you to email the LAFCO clerk at j-o-h-n period c-a-r-r-o-l-l at s-f-g-o-v dot o-r-g or at l-a-f-c-o at sfgov .org. or you may send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall. That is 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, room 244, San Francisco, California, 94102. If you submit written public comment, I will forward it to the commissioners and also include your communication as part of the official file on which you are commenting. That is the end of announcements. Let's take roll real quick. Commissioners, when you hear your name, please indicate whether or not you are present. Vice Chair Fielder, Fielder absent. Member Williams? Present. Williams present. Member Preston? Present. Preston present. Member Singh? Present. Singh present. Chair Chan noted also absent. And we have a quorum. We are ready to go. Before we continue with the rest of the meeting agenda, LAFCO should make a temporary assignment of a presiding officer. Do we have any motion? to appoint a commissioner as chair pro tem for today's proceedings. <laughs> Forget the verbiage. Um, we just need a, a motion to appoint a chair pro tem. Okay, I make a motion to appoint a chair for pro tem. Pro tem, sorry. And who? Yeah. Uh, for Supervisor Preston. Okay. Thanks. Second that. Thank, Thank you. you. Please call the roll. On the motion to appoint Dean Preston as the chair pro tem offered by member Williams and seconded by member Singh. Member Williams? Aye. Williams, aye. Member Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. Member Singh? Aye. Singh, aye. There is no objection, Mr. Chair pro tem. Thank you. Uh, thank you, colleagues. Mr. Clerk, please call item number two on the agenda. Agenda item number two is approval of the LAFCO minutes from the June 7th, 2023 regular meeting. This is an action item. Commissioners, I have to note that uh, the meeting is incorrectly identified on the front page as the June 7th, 2022 meeting. I offer a clerical correction to that. Uh, 
please accept the clerical correction to the minutes. There's no need for an action to amend the minutes, but we do need to take public comment. Thank you. And uh, commissioners, any other changes to the, to the minutes? Uh, seeing none, why don't we go ahead and open this item up for public comment. Do we have anyone here in the board chamber, room 250, who has public comment in the form of the minutes? It appears we have none, and we have no callers listening to our meeting remotely. So, Mr. Chair Pro Tem, there's Thank no public comment. Thank you. Uh, public comment on this item is now closed. Um, in an abundance of caution, we will just go ahead and make the motion of the, men, the minutes as you described, uh, whether or not that motion is necessary, uh, but just to dot our I's and cross our T's. Um, do I have a, uh, a motion to make the amendment specified by the clerk? Um, I'd like to make a motion to uh, approve the amendment specified by the clerk. Thank you. A second. Okay, very good. Second that. On the motion to amend and approve the minutes offered by Member William and seconded by uh, Commissioner Preston. Uh, Commissioner Williams? Aye. Williams, aye. Commissioner Preston? Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Singh? Aye. Singh, aye. Mr. Chair Pro Tem, there is no objection. Thank you. That motion passes. Uh, let's call item three. Agenda item number three is a community choice aggregation activities report. This is a discussion and possible action item. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, we'll now hear from uh, Deputy Assistant General Manager for Clean Power SF, Michael Himes. Uh, welcome, and if you could please keep your uh, presentation to uh, 10 minutes, that would be very much appreciated. The floor is yours. Thank you, Chair Preston, uh, and good morning, LAFCO commissioners. Um, happy Friday. I'm Mike Himes, uh, Deputy Assistant General Manager for the SFPUC's Power Enterprise, responsible for the Clean Power SF program. Um, I do have uh, some slides that the executive officer is bringing up right now. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Um, you, can, you can advance to the agenda whenever you're ready. Um, for my report today, I will be providing an update on the implementation of our new Clean Power SF generation rates. Um, sharing some information, some recent actions from our uh, SFPUC Commission on California Community Power, the CCA Joint Powers Agency that Clean Power SF is a member of. I'll be sharing some information about Clean Power SF's forthcoming power content label for 2022. And lastly, I'll provide an overview of a new project that Clean Power SF has contracted with, the Corby Battery Storage Project. Um, and I will be pretty close to 10 minutes. Um, I might be slightly over. I'll do my best, though, to keep to that 10. Um, you can advance, please. Thanks. Uh, and one more. So in April, we presented the rate proposal for Clean Power SF that SFPUC staff are bringing to our commission in May. Those rates were just implemented, so I wanted to provide uh, a short recap. Uh, as a reminder, uh, the, the city's charter requires the SFPUC to conduct a cost of service study uh, every five years. The SFPUC conducted its first rate study for Clean Power SF about a year and a half ago. Uh, that process culminated in new cost of service rates adopted by our commission last year that became effective on July 1st of 2022. The focus of that rate study was to ensure financial sustainability for the program by setting Clean Power SF rates to cost of service and moving away from the practice of closely following PG&E's rates 
which had been the practice really since Clean Power SF launched. To prioritize customers, customer needs was another priority. Um, so for example, being mindful of the pace of change of our rates um, to ensure affordability and competitiveness. And lastly, to support the city's climate action goals by ensuring the rates, uh, that our rates sent the right price signals to encourage climate responsible and cost effective power consumption. Ultimately, Clean Power SF's uh, fiscal year 2022-2023 rates decreased from the previous rates that had been in effect. Those rates provided significant savings to Clean Power SF customers during the fiscal year in the range of 10 to 15% bill savings relative to PG&E. Next slide, please. This was the schedule of our fiscal year 23-24 rate approval process. After pre presenting to LAFCO in April, our commission approved the new rates at its hearing in May. The newly adopted rates were submitted to the board on May 11th and became effective on the first of this month. The rates reflect a three to 8% increase on the total average customer electricity bill for most rate schedules primarily driven by what has been a very large increase in power market supply costs. We are in the process of notifying our customers about our new rates via online, excuse me, on-bill messages. Um, we have an upcoming newsletter that will also provide information, and we have updated our Clean Power Stuff website uh, with the new rate information. Next slide, please. Even though Clean Power SF rates have increased relative to uh, the prior fiscal year, the program continues to provide bill savings to its customers relative to taking generation service from PG&E. That's illustrated on this slide with two tables that summarize the average monthly electricity bills for the typical residential and typical small business electricity customers. ETOUC is the name of Clean Power SF's default time of use electricity rate, and B1 is uh, the equivalent small commercial rate. The tables compare the monthly bills for Clean Power SF's default green product, its super green product, and PG&E default service. The bottom line is that residential customers on Clean Power SF's green product will see on average about $3 per month or 3% savings relative to PG&E. Residential customers on Clean Power SF's Super Green product will be paying about the same as with PG&E while receiving 100% renewable energy, and that's 60% more than what PG&E currently offers. Small business customers will see bill savings on average of 6% for green and 3% for Super Green relative to PG&E's service. Other commercial customers will save about 6 to 13% on Clean Power SF's green service relative to PG&E service depending on the customer's usage and the specific rate schedule the customer takes service on. Next slide, please. Okay, I'm gonna move along here. Um, let's talk about California Community Power. Next slide. Clean Power SF was one of the founding members of California Community Power, uh, which we refer to as CC Power. The SFPUC Commission and Board of Supervisors approved Clean Power SF's membership in the spring of 2021. Today, CC Power has nine member CCA agencies, 
representing over 3 million customers across almost 150 municipalities, uh, spanning from Humboldt County to Santa Barbara County. Next slide. CC Power membership provides Clean Power SF with the opportunity, but not the obligation, to participate in larger clean energy projects that may not otherwise be possible by procuring as Clean Power SF alone. Membership also allows for broader collaboration on the development of new programs or services that might benefit from a scaled or regional approach. Membership does not commit Clean Power SF to participate in any specific projects or purchase any services. Since joining CC Power in 2021, Clean Power SF ratepayers have benefited from CC Power's joint procurement of new long lead time clean energy resource projects. To date, with the approval of the Commission and the Board, Clean Power SF is participating in the purchase of energy and capacity from four energy projects procured by CC Power through competitive solicitations. That includes two energy storage projects, the Tumbleweed and Goal Line Long Duration Energy Storage Projects. Um, and under our agreement with CC Power, Clean Power SF will purchase a 23 megawatt share of about 125 megawatts of eight hour energy storage capacity and two geothermal energy projects from which Clean Power SF will purchase a 20 megawatt share of up to 140 megawatts of new geothermal energy generating capacity. Together, these procurements support Clean Power SF's compliance with California Public Utilities Commission procurement orders issued in 2021. Next slide, please. Last month, our commission took two actions with respect to Clean Power SF's participation in the CC Power JPA. First, consistent with recommendations from our PUC Citizens Advisory Committee, which were adopted by LAFCO, our commission adopted resolution number 230138 in support of transparency, environmental accountability, and labor standards for CC Power. Specifically, the resolution recommended extending CC Power procurement practices to include multi-trade project labor agreements for direct construction, preference for projects uh, within the counties of the CC Power members, complying with relevant conservation plans when avoiding sensitive environmental habitat, improving identification of and engagement with disadvantaged community stakeholders and decision making, and uh, a number of others addressing workforce environment and environmental justice. Our staff will be participating in CC Power discussions happening in the coming months regarding these important issues and will be advocating for the adoption of these principles by CC Power. Uh, and the second action our commission took was to approve payment of Clean Power SF share of CC Power ongoing general and administrative costs and to authorize that the general manager of the SFPUC to obtain Board of Supervisors approval. As members of CC Power, we are obligated to pay our share of these general expenses. Um, and in 2021, the board approved, when, when the board approved Clean Power SF's membership to the JPA, it approved payment of these costs for three years. Uh, so that comes to expiration um, shortly. Uh, so we'll be seeking Board of Supervisors approval to extend that authority in the fall. Next slide. You can skip two, actually. Thanks. Uh, SFPC staff are in the process of preparing Clean Power SF's power content label for calendar year 2022. Think of this as like the food product label that you might see at the store. 
Um, in 2022, our sixth year of operation as a CCA, we continued our strong track record of delivering clean energy to our customers. Our green product featured 97% clean and renewable electricity with an annual emissions factor of 47 pounds of carbon dioxide equivalents per megawatt hour sold. That's 90% less than California's statewide average greenhouse gas emissions factor in 2021. You can see the breakdown on this slide by technology or fuel type in the pie chart on the top for our green product. The pie chart on the bottom identifies the fuel mix for our super green product in 2022, which consisted of 50% wind and 50% solar sourced from new renewable por portfolio standard eligible generating facilities located in California. Uh, the final power content label will be sent out to all Clean Power SF customers in September following uh, SFPUC commission approval. So I have one more content slide, if that's okay, if I can proceed. Please proceed, yes. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Um, so lastly, I wanted to provide an overview of a new battery storage project that Clean Power SF has contracted with. Uh, Clean Power SF recently entered into a contract to purchase standalone energy storage capacity from what's called the Corby Battery Storage Project. The Corby Project is an innovative four-hour lithium-ion battery system that will be built by NextEra Energy in the city of Vacaville in Solano County with a commercial operation of June 1st, 2025. The agreement with the Corby Project will allow Clean Power SF to meet its regulatory obligations with the California PUC and independent system operator. It is significant given that it has been challenging to acquire new clean energy capacity recently due to various market supply and grid interconnection constraints. So this project provides timely new capacity to the state's grid. Corby will provide Clean Power SF in California with additional flexibility in managing our power grid, helping keep the lights on during the hottest months of the year when demand for electricity is at its peak. The project will also allow Clean Power SF to serve its customers more efficiently by charging and storing energy from the electric grid during hours of low system power prices when solar is abundant and discharging that energy during higher price periods, typically when solar is not available. It'll, it'll also help Clean Power SF uh, balance its diverse renewable energy resources on the grid filling in the gaps caused when the wind stops blowing and the sun isn't shining. By adding approximately 300 megawatts of new clean energy capacity, the Corby project represents a significant new investment for the Bay Area. It'll create good paying jobs at prevailing wages. Um, and Nextera also submitted a social impact partnership proposal along with its bid submission, which is incorporated into the agreement as a contract requirement. So that actually concludes my prepared remarks. I'm happy to take any questions you may have. Thank you for the presentation. Um, and uh, colleagues, if there are no questions at this time, I'd like to hear from uh, Executive Officer uh, Pollock uh, with an update on LAFCO activities uh, regarding Clean Power SF. The floor is yours. Great, thank you. Uh, good morning, commissioners. Uh, Jeremy Pollock, LAFCO Executive Officer. Uh, give me one moment to bring up my slides. 
So I'm going to be providing some uh, brief updates um, both on uh, LAFCO's oversight work of Clean Power SF as well as uh, our, our progress on starting on the studies from the, the MOU with the SFPUC. Um, so in the resolution passed by the Board of Supervisors early, earlier this year that um, supported the, that MOU, uh, the Board also requested that LAFCO continue our work monitoring and uh, uh, Clean Power SF and advising the Board and the PUC. And so we are planning to, to deliver semi-annual updates on, on all of the, the oversight work we've been doing here and working on that for our next meeting in September. And also established a, a tracking dashboard that's um, uh, posted on the, the LAFCO website uh, to keep track of all the, the various um, information requests from, uh, from the commission and hearings that we've had. Um, and um, switching gears to the, uh, the studies, the special studies that we'll be conducting with uh, Clean Power SF as part of the Memorandum of Understanding. Um, as we discussed in, in our last meeting around the, the work plan for the upcoming fiscal year, we're starting with the two studies on uh, battery storage issues and on green bank financing and planning to, to revisit the later studies, uh, the other studies later in the year as we start to contact stakeholders and sketch out the scope of work for those. Uh, so uh, brief updates on the, the two studies that were uh, underway in the battery storage study, we're proposing a two-phase scope of work. Um, a first phase will be have a narrower scope of work focused on R3 occupancy, which is uh, single-family homes and duplexes. Um, that's kind of the most traditional area for battery storage in homes. Um, it's what the industry know, deals with, you know, across the state, and um, it's the area that um, you know, single-family homes have the most um, most room for for the traditional size of battery storage. Um, that's traditionally where homeowners, the, where most of the rooftop solar is in the city. And um, there's a lot of discussion between uh, PUC, Department of the Environment, and and DBI and Fire Department on the various permitting issues. Um, a major issue that um, uh, we're looking to to dig into is fire risk and fire safety. Um, fire Department has um, a lot of concerns around um, lithium-ion batteries in general. Um, there was a recent press story around um, uh, the fire started particularly by uh, electric scooters and some other uh, types of, of mobile batteries. And I think we're looking to explore are there ways to, um, what are the, the fire safety characteristics of uh, the home storage um, batteries that are typically uh, installed along with rooftop solar and looking at is there a way to, to delineate um, uh, a safer category of battery that we can um, can allow without, say, installing sprinklers that is prohibitive, um, which is an area that is really limiting the, the expansion of, of significant battery storage in, in San Francisco. Um, and so that's um, the, the, the first phase that we're tackling and we've gotten some initial comments from those departments I mentioned and uh, excited to dig into that. And then planning a, a second phase that will look at broader types of buildings, uh, multifamily uh, apartments, uh, looking at front of the meter storage, and then a host of related issues around uh, labor and workforce issues, uh, what sort of customer technical support is needed to be able to, to ramp up this. And um, yeah, really just looking for a study to, to, to point the way on, on policies and regulations that can promote uh, really expanding the amount of storage that we have in the city both as a way to provide electricity resilience in case of um, emergency and power outages for San Franciscans, and then also dealing with 
um, shifting the, the peak demand that we have in the, the afternoon and early evenings and the batteries uh, allowing us to, to not have to rely so much on the expensive electricity per that needs to be purchased in, the, in those afternoon times to, to both um, save customers money and reduce the amount of electricity that the San Francisco needs to consume. Um, and so, um, so yeah, we're uh, working to, to continue reaching out to a broader range of stakeholders and finalize the scope of work for that phase one of the study and then looking at uh, opportunities to get a consultant on board and, and kick that off hopefully uh, in the fall. Um, and then the, the Green Bank financing study, um, we're looking to, to develop the scope of work for that and um, largely looking at, at building on the work of the reinvestment working group and the plans for a public bank and municipal finance corporation and uh, incorporating the um, the Department of the Environment's interest from the, the CLE report on financing the Climate Action Plan and their recommendation of establishing a green bank and hoping that we can, can study sort of next steps in standing up the Municipal Finance Corporation that can function as the city's green bank um, and looking at you know, various opportunities to finance, uh, to fund, the, fund that entity to stand it up, um, start thinking about pilot lending programs and partnering with local CDFIs and, and CFIs on, on that process. And so welcome any input you all have on um, which of those areas to focus on and any, um, yeah, any input on the, the scope of work on that. Um, and then I thought I would give a brief update on the, uh, the Inflation Reduction Act funding that is uh, $27 billion that the EPA is distributing, uh, making plans to distribute for the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. Uh, just last Friday, they announced um, the notice of funding opportunities for two of the three um, buckets of that uh, GGRF. Um, the one that's most exciting for um, the green banking idea is this Clean Communities Investment Accelerator, um, which intends to provide $6 billion in grants to entities, community lenders like green banks. Um, and so the EPA is planning sort of a two-phase approach to, to rolling this money out in a um, initial funding round will they intend to issue between two and seven grants to divvy up this six billion dollars so we're imagining those will be sort of regional entities um, that um, applications are due in September of this year and with uh, EPA intending to announce the the awardees in the spring and so uh, we're really uh, gearing up for a second round application to those initial grantees that we imagine we'll get information on in early 2024 um, and so the, the, the guidelines and the NOFO for, uh, on this fund uh, talk about specifically about capitalization funding for community lenders like green banks and the guidelines recommend up to $10 million in capitalization per, per lender along with up to $1 million in technical assistance although it does allow um, discretion for applicants to argue for why they deserve more. Um, and so when you look at a $6 billion pot divided into $11 million grants, that's talking about 545 potential grants for green banks across the country, uh, which makes it seem like um, uh, a strong chance that, that we could have a really strong application if we are able to, to get this entity sort of organized and, and stood up in time for next year. And so on the study, we're continuing to follow up with stakeholders, um, with uh, the PUC and Clean Power SF. Um, 
we are um, uh, also talked with the Department of the Environment and the Treasurer and Tax Collector's Office is interested in participating um, and also looking to reach out to community groups, industry, and labor and welcome any feedback you all have on this. And um, yeah, hoping to, to, to shape a scope of work and get, uh, get started on this shortly. And I believe that concludes my presentation. Thank you for your presentation, all these updates. Um, and I should note, uh, thank you uh, for your um, leadership and work and in uh, presentation, Mr. Samurai, at the uh, at our uh, government audit and oversight committee yesterday, the board of supervisors on uh, talking more about uh, public banking and specifically about green banks. So I appreciate all that that work and the presentations. I I, I did have one question, and I I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I'm um, obviously there's a number of moving parts on establishing the MFC and Green Bank and so forth. Um, but I'm curious in, with respect to partnerships with um, CDFIs um, and uh, CFIs, whether like the level of interest, I know they were interviewed as part of the process of scoping out what a uh, public bank could look like, but, uh, and I also know that obviously we don't have the money yet or the structure. Uh, so, but I, but I am just curious if there's, if, if there's, are conversations happening, or if not, when those would be appropriate to begin uh, around looking, you know, in a more concrete way um, at how that partnership would look and what the appetite is uh, uh, for that. Uh, <clears throat> happy to take that, Supervisor. Um, the plans that the working group, the investment working group uh, created envision that um, all the work that the MFC does, that initial entity, would come from, uh, would be done in partnership with CDFIs. Mm -hmm. And when we had those interviews, those conversations with CDFIs, what they told us was, um, if we are willing to provide them a below market rate that's, you know, competitive with what private banks and um, offer them, they're more than happy to partner with us. And to, let me clarify, that doesn't mean that we're not profitable. It just means that we're not profitable to the extent that Wall Street banks are. Um, so we can turn a profit, do social good in San Francisco, and uh, um, provide our CDFI partners with a, um, a rate that allows them to uh, also do their work efficiently. At this point, um, it'd be premature to begin that conversation. Um, I would say San Francisco needs to take some steps first, first in establishing, or at least beginning to establish, um, the MFC, that initial entity, and then uh, finding that uh, initial pot of funding. Once we have a better understanding of the amount of funding we'll have, we can begin that conversation and let our uh, CDFI partners um, know what we're, we're able to do for them. Um, and yeah, they're, they're more than happy to work with us, uh, at least all the ones that we talk to are. Great, thank you. Um, and I did have just uh, one question, switching gears uh, for Mr. Himes uh, the, on the Clean Power SF, and thank you for the, um, the detailed presentation and very uh, clear uh, for the public and for us. I, I'm just curious on the, um, the power content uh, chart that, that you laid out. Is, is that pretty consistent year to year on, on what those percentages are, or are there any trends we should be aware of? Um, 
It has been fairly consistent, but but there can be changes from year to year that are driven by a couple a couple factors. Um, one factor is uh, the term of certain contracts that we may have. We may have contracts expiring that are delivering power from a particular uh, generator and fuel type. And the expiry of those contracts and new contracts might come on with a different resource type, for example. So that was, that's one thing that could change the configuration of the pie chart. Um, another thing that might change the configuration of the pie chart are, is, is a drought. Um, you may have noticed from that our green product uh, consists, uh, consisted in 2022 of, I want to say, about 35% hydroelectric. Um, it's, we're going to have another strong hydroelectric year for 2023, but as you all probably know, we've been through some pretty severe droughts over the past few years, so that number could decrease. It's something that we're being mindful of as we prepare to move into establishing and maintaining 100% renewable every year starting 2025 um, is the the risk around drought. So those are some things that, that could shift that around a little bit. Um, yeah, th th there may also be some changes in regulation that could change some of the, um, the presentment of that information as well in the future. Thank you very much. Uh, any questions or comments, colleagues? Then we will go ahead and uh, open this item up for public comment. Mr. Clark. Thank you. If we have public comment from anyone here in the board chamber for agenda item number three, please come forward to the public comment lectern. I have to adjust the timer. You will enjoy two minutes of public comments, and then we'll hear public comment from those who are connected to our system remotely. Just a reminder, if you wish to comment on this and you've called in, you can dial star three, and that will add you to the queue. Please begin. Uh, good morning, commissioners. My name is Paul Wormer. I want to say I'm a great fan of Clean Power SF and their outreach, and I want to thank Executive Officer Pollock for some very helpful uh, discussions on the uh, uh, battery storage studies. Um, I'm here to make a pitch that uh, we need to look more at in front of the meter energy storage, both electrical and thermal, because with heat pumps, the synergies between electrical and thermal storage become very significant in improving efficiency, and that can become even more important uh, as we go to 100% renewable and are trying to deal with the peak demand periods when the current air source heat pumps have the least efficiency, which is a, a big deal. It's, it's like a 30% or more drop in, in the peak demand. Um, but the in front of the meter storage uh, strategies can also offer real benefits for equity. They offer opportunities for more environmentally sound battery chemistries, and they significantly reduce the hazards to in-house. I would also note, as someone who owns a two-unit building that I live in, so it's an R3, we don't have enough space on our lot to put in battery storage for both units, which we would have to do. We do not have enough space on our rooftop to put in so enough solar. We have solar, but it's not enough to fully provide the demands, especially with heating energy. And so even for the R3 occupancies, 
not all of them are going to be able to take advantage of on-site battery storage and maximize the use, so it becomes very useful for those who have large lots and large properties. But there are a lot of people who will be left out and not taking advantage. Thank you. Thank you, Paul Warmer, for sharing your comments. It appears we have no one further in the chamber who has public comment on agenda item number three. And Mr. Chair Pro Tem, we have no callers in the queue online. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. Um, and I, just one other comment. I forgot to, to uh, reference this before. Um, less of a question than just as, as on, the, on the battery um, issue. You referenced the fire safety concerns and talking to the fire department. I just, I just wanted to elevate that, you know, to, and, and I say this as someone who in my district, we had a, a, a fatality believed to be from one of these scooter batteries that you're talking about. Like there's, you know, I think um, it's a really serious issue. And I think in order, you know, both to ensure the safety, but also to encourage folks who may hear these stories, you know, if, if this, you know, if and when, and it is clear it can be done in a safe way, like there's, there's I think, a, a need to assure the public of that as well. So I just wanted to elevate that and, uh, and, and um, maybe suggest, I mean, if we get written guidance and clearance and all that from the fire department, great. Um, or if there are questions or things that it might benefit uh, the public to hear about, uh, that at a future discussion of this, that we might want to invite someone uh, from the fire department uh, to speak as, as this is moving forward. Yeah, just a brief response to that. Absolutely. I think we've um, received some initial feedback from the fire department who pointed us to they have a, a fire bulletin specifically on R3 occupancy for stationary energy storage and also uh, directed us to where in the California fire code this is covered and um, heard some initial discussion that um, that the like scooter types of batteries are notorious for being less safe than a lot of the sort of in-home larger storage that is traditionally installed along with, with rooftop solar but um, absolutely need to get you know the expert feedback in the fire department is critical to be at the table on that um, there's you know sort of frustration from the the industry in that um, San Francisco has um, much stronger regulations on the, like uh, the size of the, these battery storage. I think it's cap capped at 20 megawatts storage is the most you can install without adding sprinklers. Uh, whereas in mo almost everywhere else in the state, they're installing much larger batteries. But of course, as as a very dense city, we're you know fairly unique in California, and yeah, with a lot of old wood buildings, fire safety has to be uh, paramount for whatever we're recommending. Thank you very much, and yeah, I'll, I will check out that bulletin. Thank you both for the presentations, um, and uh, I believe there is no action to take on this matter, so we will go ahead, Mr. Clerk, and please call item number four. Agenda item number four is a discussion of programs and policy for promoting usage of electric bicycles in San Francisco. This is a discussion and possible action item. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. Uh, Looking forward to hearing uh, from our uh, LAFCO Coro fellow, uh, Walker Woodard. Welcome, and uh, thank you for all your work. The floor is yours. Thank you. Uh, I worked with the SF LAFCO earlier this year as a previous Coro fellow in public affairs. Uh, my name is Walker Woodard, and today I'll be discussing the findings of that report to promote the usage of electrical bicycles in San Francisco. So moving to the next slide to provide some uh, background and the uh, goals of this project. 
The background is that the SF LAFCO partnered with uh, UC Santa Cruz in May of 2019 to, to conduct a study of the gig economy within the city of San Francisco, the landscape and the current workforce. And in that study, they found that over 70% of current gig workers were interested or open to transitioning to electric bicycle mobility if they were provided an incentive. So with that finding, the SF Department of Environment this year is developing a pilot program for gig workers to have electric bicycles, and they have about 30 electric bicycles that they're mobilizing this year for gig workers. And this report that I'm presenting today is to share an array of like recommendations and options to scale up these programs if the city of San Francisco seems it's appropriate to do so. And moving to the next slide, I'll begin discussing the types of electric bicycle rebate programs that I saw through my research. I reviewed a variety across the country and there were three main buckets for these electric bicycle programs. The first one is either a standard uh, rebate program for newer used bicycles, which would be a flat rebate across the board for uh, eligible recipients, or they would have varying uh, rebates based on income, so lower income individuals would receive a higher rebate to obtain an electric bicycle or they would have uh, rebates based on the price of the electric bicycle. So it varied based on that, but one thing was typically uh, used was either new or used electric bicycle purchases to really open up that marketplace for consumers. And another variable was uh, the conversion kits for electric bicycles. So converting a bicycle to an electric bicycle, that uh, varied if it was eligible for, for a rebate in these programs. And then for the next uh, bucket, the loan-to-own structures, which is another option, would be having a, an agreement for a set time frame, either at a low fee or no cost if the program's fully funded to obtain the electric bicycle after a set time frame concludes. And the individual would have insurance for the electric bicycle, and that would be the second bucket that I saw in my research. And the third one is an e-bike lending library, which is increasingly popular across the country. And actually, the city of Oakland is establishing their own uh, lending library within their area. And essentially, there's a variety of community-based organizations that would have set timeframes that uh, community members could either pay a small fee or at no cost based on funding to check out the electric bicycles and use it for a set time frame and return it at the end. And moving to the next slide is a table representing about five electric bicycle programs across the country that represent my uh, sample size. I had about 30 across the country that I reviewed to obtain this information, and I believe these five just give like an example of the variation among the different rebate programs. So going to the next slide, I'll begin discussing some of the federal funding options that would be available for scaling up this kind of uh, e-bike rebate program. The Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 established these varying methods. The US EPA has a variety of funding options from the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, the Climate Pollution Reduction Grants, and the Environmental and Climate Justice Block Grants with 27 billion, uh, 8 billion, and 3 billion, or 5 billion and 3 billion respectively. And then Section 30C of IRA also has a section where I believe there could be opportunity to partner with local businesses to essentially have tax incentives to establish this kind of like infrastructure for charging electric bicycles. And it would be a great option, especially with gig workers providing these services for local businesses, just to have this kind of local partnership. 
And then the last one is the Neighborhood Access and Equity Grant Program for the Federal Highway Administration. And they have funding available to establish bike lanes, which would produce safety and just have more options for these mobility options to occur in the city. And going to the next slide, we're, I'm going to discuss some current programs that really demonstrate the demand of e-bikes in California and the support that exists. So this year, the California Bicycle Coalition and CARB are rolling out a uh, California e-bike affordability program, which has about $10 million in funding to get 10,000 residents of California with e-bikes so they can use it for their own mobility needs. And then the next one is uh, multiple regional uh, air quality districts also have programs to transition order vehicles to uh, newer vehicles that are cleaner and more sustainable for residents with a $7,500 rebate available. And I believe that uh, the city and county of San Francisco could do a partnership with these uh, like SF Bay Area Air Quality District to incentivize gig workers to take advantage of this to transition to e-bikes, for example. And going to the next slide is going to be an overview of recommend, recommend uh, forward. Going next slide forward. Uh, would be an overview of recommendations that I'm going to discuss, and in the following slides, I'll go through each one now. So starting with the first one, it's relevant to the, the last uh, component I just mentioned, is having a partnership with the city and county of San Francisco with the SF Bay Area Air Quality Management District to basically refer gig workers to have this option to trade in their vehicles, to switch to e-bikes if they're interested, and they would receive both that $7,500 rebate to do so, and also the city would provide a uh, additional rebate so they can either have that additional funding or obtain a, additional supplies that's needed with an e-bike typically. And then going to the next recommendation that's available, uh, San Francisco could mandate that 50% of gig-based delivery be used either through an electric vehicle or an e-ride service such as e-bikes, and that could be in accordance with the state's uh, 2035 EV goals and really trying to make sure that gig platforms stay on track and stay on an appropriate timeline to transition to that. And this could be by an example time frame of 2027. And then going to the next recommendation, recommendation number three. Uh, I think it would be appropriate to, once the uh, lift bay wheels contract uh, comes up to expiration in 2027, to explore alternative partnerships with other uh, platforms or other options to make a more robust public bicycle sharing system, but also incorporate the gig workforce in this kind of structure to really provide scalability to this program if the city and county deems fit. And then going to the next recommendation, I think there could be an option for the SFPUC to develop their own uh, rebate program for electric bicycles amongst their own customers, which was typical in a lot of the programs I saw across the country for uh, municipalities to have their utility provider do so. And this could either be through a bill fee if uh, approved or through like funding options that I mentioned that the SFPUC can obtain to provide this to uh, the consumers within the city and county. And then going to the next recommendation. Uh, forward. Great. Okay. So based on SF's uh, zero emission vehicle requirement for their city fleets, I think there could be an option to replace some of the city fleet vehicles with electric bicycles for both a lower cost of transitioning to electric mobility, but also to have more of a light duty fleet for certain activities if appropriate and just have that as a option since the deadline to transition these vehicles to electric was at the end of 2022. So this could be another way to uh, 
develop more electric bicycle use within San Francisco. And then going to recommendation number six, I think there could be an option to develop a public loan-to-own program in the city to gauge their interest across the board within residents and have an option for them to either uh, apply or opt into this program where they can either pay like a low fee to basically have this loan-to-own program of having electric bicycles for their own use within the city or it could be through uh, like a funding option and they instead like opt into maybe data sharing and feedback options just like how their experiences to really see how this would impact the city's mobility options whether that's congestion or other like factors and then for the last recommendation I'm going to mention today I think there could also be additional research into EV funding options just to establish whether there's a shortage of e-bike funding compared to EV funding just to advocate or supply um, feedback for additional funding for e-bikes just so there's as many options for mobility for individuals based on their need, whether you're in an urban area or et cetera. And that concludes all my prepared information for this report, and I'm happy to take questions at this time. Thank you very much for your presentation and uh, for all your work. And I, and I will say this has been an area of particular interest for, uh, for our office. Um, and um, I want to recognize and appreciate um, the partnership of former Supervisor um, Gordon Marr and former LAFCO Commissioner Gordon Marr, um, who was working on this and uh, who we were collaborating with on this um, when he was uh, on the commission. Um, so it, it really um, very interested in the findings and the recommendations. Um, I also want to note that we held a hearing um, in the, uh, in, in, at the Board of Supervisors around looking at, at possible public uh, bike share um, as something as these contracts with Lyft and others come up of, of looking at whether we could have some form of municipal bike share um, in San Francisco and how that would fit in with some of the regional uh, commitments and, and renewal requests and so forth. So I think there's an active discussion and I think this is very timely to fit some of these recommendations you're making and some of the possibilities here uh, into that uh, broader discussion. I did have a couple questions for you, but actually I'm gonna hold off because everyone is jumping on the roster to ask you questions. Uh, so let us start with uh, Commissioner Singh. Um, yeah, I just wanted to thank you. This is this is wonderful. Um, I mean, I I was on the commission. I was a young commissioner <laughs> when we first did this gig labor study. So I'm really really excited to see that we're still working on it. And I really um, I really appreciate the depth and breadth of these recommendations. I think that there's a lot. Hopefully that you know the um, the advocacy community in San Francisco around these issues can take these and run with them. Although that's not my purview as a LAFCO commissioner. But let's hope they do. Um, yeah, I just wanted to actually second, um, I don't have a question, any questions right now, um, but I did want to second, I think what Supervisor, what, sorry, Commissioner Preston was about to, was about to discuss too with the particular interest in Bay Wheels infrastructure. I think um, if past experience is any indication of how some of these more venture-backed for-profit sort of um, uh, alternative mobility services function uh, when they decide to scrap a program they pretty much you know junk their in every single resource that we could possibly use they junk the scooters they junk the bikes um, they end up in giant pits all over the world so um, I do think that we do need to be pretty proactive um, you know the board of soups and everyone about if, if 2027 is in fact the when when 
you know, that contract is going to expire. I think, I think the outcome is pretty predictable, so we should be trying to, you know, see how much of that infrastructure we can use. Um, yeah, I think that's all I have for now. But um, thank you, thank you, especially for highlighting the bay wheels thing. That was a very, that was a very important reminder. Oh yeah, one more thing too. I mean, I believe, uh, you know, one of the things that came up in the original study, the survey in 2018, was you know. One affordability, and I think that these recommendations really dig into that issue that you know a lot of delivery workers are just simply not able to afford e-bikes even if they want them. Um, and this is not in the scope of these recommendations, and it wasn't supposed to be, but I do want to just make a broader comment that um, there was also I, one of the things I remember when the first time we went over that study was you know just safety and infrastructure because that was up there in terms of like the responses in the survey about, you know, yes, I need to be able to afford this e-bike, but also I want to make sure that I'm not going to be get seriously injured or killed. So um, as we sort of, that's just to say, as we sort of start to think about, hey, what, what could a public bike infrastructure look like? Um, and think about what our timelines are for that. We also need to have um, safety infrastructure timelines to match. Rant concluded. Thank you, Commissioner Singh. And um, I do want to note the um, budget and legislative analyst did a really uh, excellent report, the Board of Supervisors, um, the BLA pr uh, presented a report on the costs of acquiring that bike share uh, infrastructure. Um, that report was not specifically about electric bikes, uh, was more broadly um, about the potential for um, and different models looked and studied different models so we definitely encourage folks to um to view that and i think it's a question that we probably should talk further about you know what in light of these recommendations whether there should whether we want to have further inquiry potentially from the bla uh or or through lafco or uh would love to to help convene that discussion of how how we um move some of this forward in light of uh, these recommendations. Um, Commissioner Williams. Thank you, Commissioner Preston. I promise this question isn't going to be scary, but uh, I wonder in your research if you've kept an eye on the kind of regulations that are being implemented to control the impending doom that is uh, things like Uber Eats robots and Waymo and Cruise and um, Maybe that's even a question for Commissioner Preston, but I wonder, um, yeah, anything, I don't know, come spark anything for you or did any alarm bells go off and is there anything that we should kind of keep our eye on? And Yeah. Thank you for that question. Uh, nothing in my research came up regarding those uh, factors in regards to electric bicycles and like using them in the gig economy. I think that's definitely a, uh, a good thought to like consider just moving forward as this is like developing so much like compared to when I did this in the beginning of the year like it just uh, has progressed so much with autonomous vehicles and other like artificial uh, intelligence so definitely a great comment so I appreciate that question. Thank you Commissioner Williams. Um, I had a couple of questions. I'm curious about um, the, 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 the idea of, of potentially, and, and I haven't looked and I don't know the legal issues around whether the city can do this or whether it would have to be uh, 
a different, you know, the state or, but, but the idea of trying to mandate or secure some agreements from the app base, you know, the delivery services around commitments. I think your, your suggestion in here was a, a mandate of 50% of the gig based delivery being, um, by, by electric vehicles. Um, I'm curious if you, if, if in your research, you were able to quantify, like if they were to do that, what are we talking, like we have a pilot going right now that's 30 vehicles. I think I've been pretty consistent voice of saying, um, and, uh, and I feel for our executive officer, because I think every time we meet, the question is, how, you know, how are we gonna expand that? I think we all want to, right? Um, you know, how to go from 30 to something much more significant that's really gonna impact congestion and, and our streets. Um, what I don't have a sense of, you know, if they were to convert 50%, what are, what are we talking about? Is that a, is that a fleet of a hundred vehicles, a thousand vehicles? Uh, do you ha do you have any sense of that? Yeah, that's a great question, and I think that's definitely obtainable to quantify that amount. I think that recommendation was coming from like the general uh, like state goals of transitioning to electric vehicles, and as the uh, city of San Francisco and county is very. Um, like influential in a lot of decisions that they make comparatively to like New York City, like making a lot of uh, mandates for the gig platforms to comply with such as like labor standards. So I think this could just be a recommendation that I think with that additional insight could be something that the cities and county of San Francisco uh, looks into and could explore. But I definitely think I could obtain that and provide that to the executive officer if you're interested. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I mean, I'm particularly interested around the e-bikes. I mean, yeah. we're sort of lumping all electric vehicles in that category. I do think, and to Commissioner Williams' points, we, we're, we're in a moment in San Francisco where we're now massively ramping up the, uh, the driverless vehicles that are, you know, coming by constantly. We've increased traffic congestion. We have obviously a lot more especially since the pandemic of package delivery and things happening. And then you add to that folks who are, you know, you, you know, using a service to like get a burrito delivered or something. Right. And that person is jumping in a car, you know, driving seven blocks, parking that car, or double parking that car. Right. And, and that's where I feel like not just electric vehicles, but specifically the pilot around bikes and electric bikes has so much potential. Um, and I, I just would, whether through your further research, I know you're, you're wrapping up or, or, uh, or LAFCO, just I, I, if that research is there, it would be great to know, you know, if we're, if we're really able to secure the funding and ramp up, what, it, what is the scale? How many, how many electric bikes are we actually talking about to get, you know, 25, 50, 75% uh, of, of those uh, shifted over to, to bikes. Um, I think that, and my only other question is you referenced city fleets and conversion. I was just curious if you were, if that was exclusively around shifting to electric vehicle, electric cars as opposed to, um, I don't know if there are some aspects of the city fleet that would lend themselves to uh, electric bikes or not. I, I just wanted some clarification on that, the recommendations around the city fleet. Yes, happy to provide that clarification. I was recommending it going to like an e-bike mobility for like selective services that were appropriate. And I think that's something that could be explored or researched because it would be at also a reduced cost to switch to the e-bike and also could make the fleet a little bit more of a light duty and uh, flexible as well. 
Great. All right. Well, fascinating work. Why don't we go ahead and hear from uh, the public? Um, let's open this item up for public comment. Thank you. Do we have any members of the public who are joining us here in the chamber who have public comment on this agenda item number four? It appears not. And if you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on this item, please dial star three. Mr. Chair Pro Tem, I see that we don't have any public comment on this item. Public comment on this item is now closed. And uh, Mr. Wooder, before we let you go and let you away from, uh, get away from that microphone, um, let me say on behalf of uh, LAFCO that we would like to thank you for your work um, and for moving uh, this important research forward. I think the, this is a very uh, important work that you've been doing. Uh, I know our chair is not here uh, personally uh, today to, uh, to thank you, but I know she shares in uh, wanting to convey our thanks, and uh, she also had prepared um, a certificate of honor for you uh, from the Board of Supervisors and also signed by our LAFCO uh, commissioners. Uh, we want to congratulate you uh, on graduating from the CORO program as a member of what I understand to be the 75th class of fellows uh, in, in uh, public affairs. Um, and uh, I will turn it over to our executive officer who has the certificate of honor to present to you and maybe has some words as well to share. Executive Officer Pollock. Yeah, thank you very much. And just, uh, yeah, I want to say thank you, Walker, for all of your work. Um, Walker's um, term of service with us was just the month of January. And I have to say, I was, um, was sort of wondering how much he'd be able to accomplish in just one month and seeing this, this well-rounded report, the, the wide range of interviews he was able to squeeze into that month. And uh, just a lot of insight for someone who comes, I believe, more from a public health background and was very new to the world of transportation and e-bikes and uh, just so impressed with what you were able to, to put together. And um, yeah, thank you for your contributions and um, really wish you the, all the best. And um, um, yeah, thank you for being a part of the LAFCO team this year. Thank you. And uh, I don't know if you wanted to share any, any remarks before we hand you the uh, certificate of honor. Thank you very much. This means a lot, and I really appreciate all the very kind words from the commissioners and also the executive officer. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. And I will uh, go ahead and probably break all protocol, but when you hand me the gavel, that's sometimes what happens, uh, and invite you to come up here uh, into the well here, hopefully invite our uh, LAFCO folks up as well, and maybe we can do a quick photo with you and your certificate of honor. Come on up. Thank you, everyone, um, and uh, let's go ahead and uh, call item number five, Mr. Clerk. Very good. Just noting that there was no action taken on agenda item number four before we move on to agenda item number five. Agenda five is a resolution authorizing the executive officer to finalize and execute an agreement with Stephen Suzuki for community facilitation and property assessment services related to the Midtown Park Apartments for a term ending December 31st, 2024. 
in an amount not to exceed $50,000 with any minor non-substantive revisions agreed to by the general counsel. This is a discussion and action item. Thank you, Mr. Clerk. And uh, this one has had a long road, but uh, excited uh, to see this moving forward. So uh, let's hear on this item from Executive Officer Pollock. Uh, great, thank you very much. Um, very excited to bring this for you for approval. We have um, um, successfully negotiated a contract with um, the winning bidder for the RFP for the Midtown Park Apartments study. And uh, just a little bit of background, um, at the request of Commissioner Preston, we've added to our work plan for the year a study uh, on the Midtown Park Apartments in the Western Edition. It's the only city-owned property, uh, residential property in, uh, in San Francisco and going to be working on uh, evaluating potential models for resident ownership and control there. And as part of that process, uh, the Board of Supervisors allocated $45,000 to LAFCO for a consultant to do the uh, community facilitation work and also to conduct a property conditions assessment to understand the state of the property and needed repairs. Uh, so we issued an RFP for a consultant. Uh, we received two qualified proposals and convened an evaluation panel. And the highest scoring was a proposal from Steven Suzuki. Um, they demonstrated a lot of knowledge of Midtown and uh, it passed a re relevant experience on community facilitation and uh, a lot of knowledge of housing ownership models. Uh, and they also proposed a, a really robust pr uh, property assessment process involving uh, some subcontractors with um, a mechanical engineer and electrical engineer. And then the two principals are both uh, also architects. So. Um, very satisfied with uh, the proposal we received. Um, um, so the the one hang up on the contract negotiations was uh, the request from the, the bidders for some additional funding for reimbursement for unexpected insurance costs. And um, that was why we agendized this for $50,000 um, beyond the original 45,000 that uh, we had advertised. Um, through contract negotiations, uh, we've come to agreement on them with them to reduce that to 45,650. So that would be allowing an additional 650 to reimburse them for their insurance costs. And uh, so the 45,000 would come from that funding from the Board of Supervisors, and then we would supply that additional 650 from the LAFCO fund balance, um, which as of the, the budget that, that you adopted was approximately $75,000. Um, so um, uh, a policy choice for you all to, to, to sign off on. Um, it was, I admit, um, a bit frustrating in, in having to, to supply a little bit of extra funding, but at the same time, I think given the, the amount of work involved in this contract is um, pretty substantial and $45,000 is a small amount of money in the, in the scheme of things for these types of contracts, um, I feel like it's a, a reasonable expenditure to make sure we're getting uh, the highest quality services and uh, also to ensure that, that our contractors have the, the robust insurance requirements that our, our general counsel recommended to just to make sure that, that LAFCO is covered and the consultants are covered just in case of um, any uh, mishaps. Um, and so that um, concludes my, my report. The recommendation would be to, so to amend the, the resolution before you approving uh, to authorize me to finalize and execute the agreement and to change that not to exceed amount from $50,000 to $45,650. Thank you, Executive Officer Pollock. And, and uh, uh, by the way, I want to clarify in my 
introductory comment when I said a long time in coming uh, that is not a long time in, uh, due to LAFCO, which has actually turned this around uh, you know, very uh, expeditiously. I want to commend uh, you uh, and our general counsel and, and, and in, um, for what is numerically as a dollar value a relatively small contract, but in terms of the importance in uh, many people's lives uh, at Midtown Park Apartment, a very significant agenda item, uh, and appreciate uh, you turning that around quickly. The long time in coming is a reference to things far outside the jurisdiction of LAFCO, and that is the decades-long uh, uh, promises uh, from the city uh, to deliver uh, ownership of uh, Midtown in some form to the residents of Midtown. So just wanted to clarify that. Uh, Commissioner Williams. Uh, we, you, you intend to do a, a motion to to amend and second. I think we can wait. Should we wait till public comment wait till after uh, prior to public. doing that? Yeah. We'll, we'll do that after public comment. Any, any other uh, questions or comments? Yeah, I am so excited. Um, looking at this contract a few times, robust is an understatement. Thank you so much for stewarding this. Um, quick. <laughs> Quick is correct, and um, Dean or Commissioner Preston, thank you also for um, I don't know being such a fierce advocate for for these tenants, and I'm very excited to see uh, this developing. And yeah, I could use more adjectives, but I won't. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Singh. I'll echo my fellow commissioners. Um, this is a long time coming, uh, and again, not because of us, <laughs> anyone here, um, but I'm really, really glad to see this moving forward, um, particularly the fact that we are looking at a, at, a, at a range of different models, but actually that's, you know, the best option for the tenants, um, and especially want to applaud, you know, uh, the, the selection process appears to have found a really solid candidate, um, and, and particularly, I think, one of the issues that, that we've seen with Midtown in the past is the residents not really being able to get a realistic sense um, that isn't, you know, uh, uh, how do I put this? The, the residents not really necessarily being able to trust the advice that they're being given on the structural integrity of the complex. Um, and, um, you know, having, you know, actual like architects and engineers as well as people who understand alternative financing models and funding models for, um, for housing and especially cooperatives. I think this is just really well done. So thank you. Thank you, Commissioner Singh. Um, Mr. Clerk, let's open this item up for public comment. Thank you. Do we have anyone in board chamber room 250 who has public comment on this agenda item number five? It appears we have none. And if you are connected remotely and you wish to speak on this item, please dial star three to be added to the queue. Delaying for a moment. And we have no callers in the queue. Thank you. Public comment on this item is now closed. Um, and uh, Commissioner Williams, uh, would you like to make a motion to amend the resolution as stated by Executive Officer Pollock? Motion to approve the amendments uh, suggested by uh, Commissioner, or sorry, Executive Officer Pollock. And is there a second? Second. Mr. Clerk. On the motion to amend the resolution 
to change the not to exceed amount to $45,650 and then approve the resolution as amended, offered by Commissioner Williams, seconded by Commissioner Singh. Commissioner Williams. Aye. Aye. Commissioner Preston. Aye. Preston, aye. Commissioner Singh. Aye. Commissioner Singh, aye. Uh, Mr. Chair Pro Tem, there is no opposition. Thank you, that motion passes. Uh, and thank you everyone for the work on this. Um, and Mr. Clerk, let's go ahead and call item number six. Agenda item number six is the executive officer's report. This is a discussion and possible action item. Thank you, uh, Executive Officer Pollock. Thank you. I have just a, a brief update for you. I'm going to turn it over to our policy analyst, Khalid Samurai, to give you an update on our public banking work. Hello, uh, again, Super, uh, Commissioners. Um, we have officially completed um, the work under the Reinvestment Working Group Ordinance. On July 22nd of this year, we officially submitted all final plans from the Working Group to the Board of Supervisors. And uh, yesterday, uh, July 20th, um, uh, the Chair of the Working Group, the Consultant uh, team for the Working Group, and myself presented to the Board of Supervisors, Government Audits and Oversight Committee. Um, in addition, we've been presenting uh, this, uh, these final plans from the working group um, at uh, a July 12th town hall meeting organized by the Public Banking Coalition. We are scheduled to uh, do a briefing for SFPUC um, Power Enterprise staff on August 11th. Um, we've done multiple briefings for the Board of Supervisors and uh, we will continue to uh, offer briefings for other city departments as we move forward. Um, we've also submitted the final uh, work product of the working group to the Federal uh, Deposit Insurance Commission, the uh, California Department of Financial Protection and Innovation, and the United States Federal Reserve System for further feedback um, in anticipation of creating the MFC and the public bank. We want to know what they're thinking um, as uh, soon as possible. And then finally, we are uh, starting the Green Bank uh, Financing Study, um, where we will, um, it's a, a two-step uh, process. We will secure, uh, aim to secure funding from um, the sources uh, Jeremy mentioned earlier, the Greenhouse Reduction Fund, and uh, design a pilot program that the MFC can then take on. Great, thank you. And the only other item on the in the forward calendar is the forward calendar in the executive officer's report. Uh, with our transition to a bi-monthly meeting schedule, we have two regular meetings upcoming this uh, calendar year in September and November. And uh, yeah, the proposed topics are listed in the forward calendar and um, that concludes our report. Thank you for your presentation. Um, and unless there are, oh, I see uh, Commissioner Singh has a question. I have a quick question um, and I should have, this was already on my mind when we were talking about a, discussing agenda item number three, but um, for uh, the Green Bank financing study, like what, um, what sort of, it's great to know that we're submitting the work to regulators as soon as possible because it'll probably take some time to hear back from them. Um, but you know, what ducks, what regulatory ducks would we need to have in a row um, in advance of you know qualifying for that second round of uh, federal funding? I think was it 2026? Sorry, I might have. Uh, 2024, uh, Four, commissioner. Sorry. Yeah, and uh, we don't. 
the only uh, regulatory requirements are to start a uh, public bank. So San Francisco could start the Municipal Financial Corporation tomorrow if there was political will and funding. And then additionally, we can get funding from the EPA's Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund without having started the MFC. We, we could still apply or one of the city departments could apply. Would it make us more competitive if we already had the entity started and ready to go and accept these funds and distribute them? Absolutely. Um, and we could maybe even get more than the um, $11 million uh, limit to get started. So we, there's no regulatory ducks to, uh, hoops to jump through. Um, and until uh, for the MFC and for uh, getting these funds, the only, uh, we're just anticipating uh, three years in the future when we will apply for a full public bank um, charter and just to be ready for that uh, process. Great, thank you, that answers my question. And thank you, Mr. Samurai, for all your work. Uh, as I've said elsewhere, you've done uh, really stellar work uh, around uh, with the reinvestment working group and mapping out these plans and putting us in a position uh, really where now it is a matter of, uh, of political will and, and the legal analysis. And as you point out, there are regulatory issues uh, to resolve in terms of forming uh, a public bank eventually. Our current issues are the balls sort of in our court at the Board of, wearing my other hat, uh, on the Board of Supervisors, uh, it's, it, it, you know, the, the challenge now we're working with the city attorney around uh, setting up an MFC and making sure we do that consistent with local law, which is a different issue than sat satisfying uh, federal regulators, right? It's actually turning what the reinvestment working group has put forward in these detailed plans um, that you've played such an important role in um, in moving that uh, into an ordinance uh, for the Board of Supervisors and, and the mayor to move forward. So that's where we are, uh, ready for that next step, and uh, appreciate all your work. We have public comment on the- Do we have anyone who has public comment on agenda item number six joining us here in the chamber? It appears that we do not have any. And I'm receiving update from our uh, online staff that there also are no callers in the queue. All right, public comment on this item is now closed um, and no action required on this item. Let's call uh, the next item, number seven on the agenda. Agenda item number seven is public comment. Members of the public may address public comment on matters which are within the subject matter jurisdiction of LAFCO but which do not appear on today's agenda. I invite anyone who has general public comment for LAFCO to come forward to lectern here in the chamber, but there is no one doing so. And checking to see if we have anyone connected remotely who has public comment of a general nature for agenda item number seven, and we have no callers, Mr. Chair Pro Tem. Public comment on, on this item is now closed, um, and uh, please call item eight. Agenda item number eight is future agenda items. Colleagues, are there any future agenda items to note? Seeing no one on the roster, um, let's go ahead and open this up for public comment. This is the last time we'll take public comment at today's meeting. This is for future agenda items. We have no one in the chamber giving public comment for future agenda items, and we have no one in the queue, Mr. Chair Pro Tem. Thank you. With no uh, speakers, public comment is now closed. There's no action to take on this matter. Uh, Mr. Clerk, is there any other business before us today? There's no further business. Thank you. We are adjourned.